welcome. My name is Rodney Wilkinson. If you're new, get the service lead, pastor of Gospel Fellowship. Um, and we are finishing up a series called Come and See. Come and See. And we've been asking uh, God to help us in every area of our life come to him and see what it is he's trying to show us. But not just for us to come, but for us to be inviting others along the way to come and see Jesus as well. Amen. Before we jump into it, I got a few announcements we want to talk about. Um, on June 14th, we are going to be hosting something for the guys called Kingdom Men Rising. It is a movie a couple of weeks ago that came out with Pastor Tony Evans. It's only in theaters for two days, so a lot of people just weren't able to see it. We're going to be reshowing that movie uh, at our office here in East Boynton. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to come out. It's going to be guys from our church and guys from outside of our church. Um, Carlos is running point on that. You can see him if you have some other questions. I'm excited. Whenever guys can get together, it's, it's, it, it, it's a good day. It's a good day. Amen. So the movie is phenomenal. We want you guys to be a part of it. It's a $5 cover charge, which includes the movie and food and all of that. So it's going to be a good time to come out to that. And then next week, we're starting our series psalms for the summer or psalms for summer and we'll be walking through over some nine weeks various psalms um you know in for the, with the aim that we can see where our real lives meet a real god that puts us uh in a position to worship him okay so various topics will be discussed I encourage you to come out and be a part of that amen today we're talking about temptation yeah <laughs> Help, Lord, is right. <laughs> Today we're talking about temptation. Before I get started, I want to give you a working definition. Temptation is an opportunity for us to pursue a legitimate need or desire in an illegitimate way. Temptation is an opportunity for us to pursue a legitimate need or desire, but for us to do that in an illegitimate way. Amen. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 for this. And in this, we're going to see the three categories of temptation. Um, Jesus' victory over temptation and how he's instructing us to deal with temptation. Amen? So you guys can find me in Matthew 4, verse 1 through 11, and we'll jump in. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested, some translations say, by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written. Somebody say, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and set him on the pinnacle of a temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things... I will give you if you would fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone. I love that. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I want to talk to you about three things that perfectly help us in temptation. Number one, spirit lead me. Number two, flesh, eyes, and pride. And number three, fighting temptation. One more time. Spirit, lead me. Flesh, eyes, and pride in fighting temptation. I want to start with a quote by C.S. Lewis. He says this, what you see and what you hear depends a great deal on where you're standing. It also depends on what sort of person you are. 
one more time. C.S. Lewis says, what you see and what you hear depends greatly on where you're standing and what kind of person you are. Temptation is going to hit us at every turn in every way, in one way or another for the rest of our lives. How you see temptation depends on where you stand, or if I can say what you're standing on, and also what kind of person you are. Who are you? That's a good question for us to ask us, ask ourselves. I would say it's a good question to ask yourself every day as you are leaving your house. Who, Rodney, who are you? It's a good reminder for us to root our day every day in the identity of who we are. So before I start talking about temptation, I want to talk about identity. Why? Because the text does. As we read our Bible, as we're flipping through chapters in our C, the CBR journal, I pray that you are flipping through chapters in your CBR journal and allowing God's word to speak to you. You're going to be reminded about that often in this church. And so when you go to a chapter 4 of Matthew, uh, you may think, um, man, this is, this is a new chapter. Well, really, these divisions in the book of Matthew and in various books throughout the Bible were put in there to help people find their place in Scripture. It was a, it was a way to organize the Scripture. And so sometimes when you read chapter 4 of Matthew, it's important for us to go back in chapter 3 sometimes so we can catch the context because it's one letter that's being written. And when we go back to, to, to Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, here's what we read. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At the moment the heavens were open, he saw a spirit descend like a dove alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Let me read that part one more time. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So before I mention any words to you about temptation, if you have repented of your sins, put faith in Christ, and are walking a, a, a life honoring him, I want to remind you of something before we talk about temptation. I want to remind you of who you are. For Christians, we are the sons and daughters of God. We have been saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. You are not called into his family because of how good you are. You are called into his family because of how good Jesus is. I need to remind you of that. Because when you hear a, of, of me talking about temptation, your heart is going to be prone to look towards performance. But I want you to first look at your identity and be reminded of your security in Christ Jesus. You see, our text open up by telling us that he is led into the spirit by, or led by the spirit into the wilderness. What's that about? How the Holy Spirit going to lead me? No, the devil leads me into the wilderness. Not the Holy Spirit. We're going to find out in just a bit why Jesus is led into, this, into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. But before we do, remember the words of the Father. This is my son. I want to say to somebody, he got you on a wheel. And that wheel ain't over in a day, it ain't over in a week. The process of transformation is going to take time. So remember in your temptation who you are. So he moves from baptism to affirmation of sonship to the wilderness and temptation. And it's the Holy Ghost that leads him there. Help Lord Jesus. So a question on the table is, so is that what God does with me? 
It's the reason why I'm struggling here. It's the reason why I'm always tempted to lose my anger, tempted towards lust, tempted towards uh, stealing, whatever the sin is. Am I tempted because the Spirit is leading me to be tempted? Does he lead me to Satan? Is this the kind of God we serve? The answer is emphatically no. Prove it, Rodney. James chapter 1, verse 13 says this. Let no one say he is, he is tempted, or let, let, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Somebody say, don't say that. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Okay, that's clear. God doesn't tempt me with evil. He's not trying to put me in this sticky situation to see how I respond. That's not his MO. That's not how he works. Don't blame God for that. All right, Rodney, then when I'm tempted, how does this work? Pastor James helps us again. Verse 14 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desires. Then desires, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fulfilled, gives birth to death. So why am I being tempted? It is the art of fishing. Satan has been studying you from the time you were here. He knows the bait you like. And every now and then, or every day, will drop some bait in the waters where you swim. And something in your flesh responds to that bait and causes you to want to lock hold on it, only to realize the thing you think you are grabbing to satisfy you leaves you destitute until he wills you in. And when that is full grown, that brings about death. This is why the gospel is essential. As Mimi read from Ephesians 2, and so were we. This was the pattern of our lives before meeting Jesus. This, we were swimming in the waters, helpless to, to, to not take the bite. We were helpless to change. But God, who's rich in mercy, saves us, redeems us. And 2 Corinthians tells us that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, which means there's something else in me that desires something other than sin. Now it's not me just helplessly going to the bait. There, there is that desire for that, but there's also a desire towards righteousness. And the more I submit to this desire of righteousness, the stronger the, the, the spirit gets in me and I'm able to resist more. Amen. So I'm called to a new life in Christ. I'm no longer a slave to sin. So why then, Rodney, was Jesus tempted? I'll say in short, for us, we, we can find this out by going to the first temptation in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. If you remember, remember Adam and Eve are in the garden, they are living their literal best life now. And then they are tempted of the devil. And if you remember what Eve says when she sees this fruit, she says, this fruit is good for food. That's the flesh. Delightful for the eyes, that's, that's the eyes, and it makes one wise, that's, that's pride. What we see in Jesus' temptation is the same categories were tempted of Jesus. Not the same actual thing, it, it's the same categories. And so in the garden, they got to live in this plush, beautiful environment, and then the temptation came. But for Jesus, he was in the wilderness with wild beasts when the temptation came. For Adam, he was able to eat of every other fruit from the trees in the garden except one. There was no want for food for Adam, but with Jesus, he had been fasting for 40 days. Adam, when he is, the fruit is brought to him by his wife, he responds in silent, one of the saddest passages in all of Scripture, a man of apathy. But with Jesus, he stands boldly in front of the enemy, and he declares to him the word of God. 
Adam's temptation ends in a loss. Jesus' temptation ends in a victory. And so now we see these categories listed plainly for us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world is the desire of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not from the Father, but it is from the world. So your temptation, my temptation, three categories, flesh, eyes, pride. We're going to see how that rolls out. So why was Jesus tempted to undo what Adam did in the garden? And this is a real temptation. The Bible says Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Some of us struggle on the Daniel fast. We hungry on the Daniel fast. Not that we can't eat food. We can. We just don't like the food we can eat. Jesus hasn't eaten anything in 40 days. If you've ever been on a full fast or even a liquid fast, you know uh, anything past day five, day six, day seven, there is this weakness that comes on you where you don't want to exert a lot of energy. As you continue fasting, it can even be like you're, you're, you're weak, you're almost delirious at times. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, and that's when the devil comes. Footnote for temptation. He ain't coming for you when you're on your mountaintop. He's, cut, he, he's been studying you your whole life. He knows when and where to send the bait. He knows the kind of bait you don't want. He knows the kind of bait that drives you crazy. He says to Jesus, yo, you hungry. Jesus is, he's 100% man, 100% God. He is human, and he's hungry. That's, that's real. That's not make-believe. That's not mystical. He's a human, and he's hungry. He says, if you're the son of God, it's about identity. Turn these stones into bread. And the question on the table is, what's wrong with that? Jesus, just boom, stone the bread, eat. You hungry. What's wrong with that? Number one, he's not going to take orders from the enemy. And number two, he's not going to use his power to fulfill his selfish desires. He, he has done it. Remember in Exodus, it is, it is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that makes manna fall from heaven or bread fall from heaven when the people are hungry. He'll do it again later when there's this boy with two fish and five loaves of bread and there's this multitude of people, 5,000 men, not including women and children, are hungry. The Bible says Jesus will take that food, break it, bless it, and give it, and it'll feed 5,000 people. He knows how to multiply bread. Footnote for us, he knows how to provide. He's your father. He knows how to take care of you. Look over the course of your life. He's faithful. So the temptation is trying to get us to doubt the provision of God. To focus in on our appetites. This is our flesh. This is our flesh. When we think about our flesh, I want you to think about stuff like, like eating. When you're tempted to, to overeat or to not eat anything to preserve your figure. When you think about Sex, sexual needs. You can be tempted into, oh man, it, it's a plethora of things sexually we're tempted toward. We'll talk about that in a bit. Jesus says to that temptation, man shall not live by bread alone. Or in other words, you are not your appetite. This is the stuff you teach your kids. Daddy, daddy, uh, or I'm, I'm going to get y'all something to eat. What y'all want? Ice cream, ice cream. It's lunchtime. Ice cream, ice cream. Son, you are not your appetite. And because I'm your father, I give you what you need in spite of what you want. But it's important for us to understand as we're tempted, whatever the temptation is, I want to encourage you to get a couple of things in your mind. There's more than one. Get a couple of things in your mind. And when you are tempted to do that, when you are tempted to withdraw and isolate yourself from everybody, 
when God calls you into a life of community, when you are tempted to, 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 to want to, to, to have someone outside of your spouse, when you are tempted to say, man, this is my boyfriend, this is my girlfriend, or this is just a hookup, just something I, I need right now, ice cream, ice cream. The desire for it is not necessarily wrong, but the way you're coming about that desire is wrong and does not yield God glory and is not good for you. Amen. You are not your appetite. So what do you do? You fight. I remember growing up in the church, I would hear testimonies. They would have testimony service, and the guy would come up. I remember a guy who's actually, I won't give too many details. People start figuring stuff out. Um, this guy at, at, at a church I used to attend a while ago, and he comes up to the front, and he's giving his testimony. He says, man, I, I used to be out there. I used to be wilding. You ever hear people give a real long testimony of how wicked their life was? And then when it comes time to talk about Jesus, they only got this little small thing to talk about Jesus. So he's there, and he's running the game, how he used to run the streets, whatever, drink, smoke, and do drugs and all of that. He's like, man, but then when I gave my life to Jesus, I went, from, I went to a church where you start, when, once you say give your life to Jesus, the organ tune up and they, boom, you know, I give my life to Jesus. And then, then after that, we can just go. And then, anyway, he's there, he's, he's giving that, that, that testimony, and then he says this, and God took the taste out of my mouth. And boy, the church go, oh, he don't even want it no more. So has God done that? Yes. Can God do that? Yes. But I just think that's a scenario that sometimes is more rare than we let on. Sometimes I had a life of this. I have an encounter with the Lord that I know to be true, and he radically rescues me from myself in spite of myself and calls me to follow him. And I have this new nature, and I'm following Jesus and that taste still there. I, I, I don't want the taste to be there. I hate the taste, but I can't scratch the taste out of my mouth. So what does that mean? I just succumb and follow this taste? No, that means you fight. Russell Moore says this concerning this kind of thinking. It is like the repentant drunkard who says, every time I hear the clink of ice in a glass, I tremble with desire. But God is faithful in keeping me sober. It is like the girl with same-sex desires might conclude she is doomed to be a lesbian because she isn't drawn to boys and is still fighting her attraction to girls. Or a brother who is so locked in the vice grip of pornography that they decide to refuse to use a cell phone altogether and be inconvenienced in an attempt to honor God. It is like the family member who have cut up their credit cards to keep from spending every paycheck on what they see advertised may conclude they're just not spiritual enough to follow Christ because they still war against their wants. What is Russell Moore saying? Whatever your proclivity to sin is, you fight it with all you have. What this helps us to understand, that God is not so necessarily concerned with how comfortable you are in this life. He is concerned about how you are being conformed to his very image. Amen. So Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 through 3, and he says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness for these 40 years to humble and test you in order to see or to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestor had known to teach you 
that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He led him in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was fasting for 40 days. He humbled them with hunger. Jesus was hungry. And he fed them with manna. And Jesus is the bread of heaven. You see, our victory over every temptation rests on the victory that we have in Jesus. Amen. Temptation number two, cast down or cast yourself down. This is the pride of life. In this temptation, he takes him to the, to the pinnacle of the temple. And he's saying, if, if, if you're the son of God, this is always the question, reminder. It's about identity. If you are the son of God, we can also say from that, if God is your father, it's not just about identity, it's also about fatherhood. This is a question of can you trust Father God, cast yourself down, throw yourself down, and the angels will catch you. He's, he's trying to get Jesus to perform. He's trying to get Jesus to show off his deity to prove his identity. But he doesn't show off to prove who he is. He rests in who the Father has already said he is. And that's good news for us. Sometimes we are tempted to compete with the person next door, down the street, our coworkers, our friends, our family. We are stuck in a rut of competition. And we don't need to compete with each other. We need to be completed in who God says we are. I'm complete in him. And I need to tell myself that, oh, I need to be indoctrinated with my own identity and who my father is. The question on the table is this. Can I count on God to protect me? If you're the son of God, if he's your father, if you throw yourself down, he'll protect you. Will God protect you? Oh, don't that sound like him? I don't mean to sound like him this morning. But when he talked to me, that's how he'd be sounding. Have God said? Ain't you to preach? Ain't you to pastor? He tempts us to say, will God protect me? Jesus saw through the devil's implication, understanding that Psalms 91 does not teach that the anointed would not face trouble. The song instead teaches us that trouble will not triumph over the anointed. God did not, or God promised to protect the anointed, but not by exempting him from trouble. Hear this this morning. Instead, the promise is that God would be with him in the trouble. The, the temptation of the enemy is to try to get him long term to whatever you do. Don't you go to that cross? Don't you die on that tree? And in, our, in your temptation and in mine, he's, he's trying to get us to think, you can't trust God. You got to do it on your own. You got to bust your own moves. He can't be trusted. He take too long. I don't even know if he sees you. Is he listening to your prayers? What is this thing called the church? He'll go time and time again to get you to question the fatherhood of God. But I love how Jesus, I, I love this. He's not saying, listen, if I throw myself off this pinnacle and I hit my foot, I'm going to be hurt. But the psalm is not teaching you ain't never going to be hurt. You see, that's why it's good to come to a church that tells you you're going to suffer. You're going to go through. You're going to experience pain. You're going to experience challenge. And it doesn't mean that you're not his child. It just means that in the challenge, God shows up with you. And God in trouble is better than the absence of trouble. God in it with me in a crucible. When I feel like I'm about to lose my mind, when I can't see left from right, right from wrong, light from darkness, God in the trouble with me is better than the absence of trouble. His best gift that he gives to us is his presence. 
This is why heaven is amazing. And I love how limited the information is he gives us about heaven. Most of us scholars ain't sure what's going to happen when we get up there. But here's what we are guaranteed about heaven. It's where God is. Amen. Let me give you some real life examples so you feel it. It's the story of a young woman who gets married to her husband. And even on a wedding day, the life of her family is just hitting her all day long. She grew up in a family where she grew up with her father and her mother. She loved her father. She adored her father. She followed her father where she went. She was a true daddy girl, daddy's girl. But in her junior year, she found out that her father was sleeping with another woman that was several years older than she was. And her life crumbled. And so she gets married. And she gets into her marriage. Here are the questions that are coming up with her and her husband. Where were you? Who was there? Give me your phone. How can I trust you? Now, even though this man is, is trying to walk out in integrity as much as he can, and it doesn't matter how many times he tells her where I was, what access you have to my phone, She's always fearful that the thing that happened to her mother will happen to her. What is this woman to do? Some of y'all like you need to get find your iPhone on your on your on your phone so you won't even need to ask him where he is. You can just go to the link. I see where you at. But even if she did all of that, and she had all the technological event, uh, advances, what's she going to do with her heart? Here's what she's going to have to do. She's going to have to learn how to love without proof that she'll never be hurt again. And that God would protect her. With his presence. Notice the last part of what I said. Not that he will affair proof her marriage. See, some of us don't want to trust God until every little dot I is dotted and every little T is crossed. And you want this elongated process of, okay, how can I trust you? Let's go through this. Let's go through that. Let's go through this. We got to go through the end. We got to go through that. We need to do all of these things before I can trust. And nothing wrong with preparation. Nothing wrong with marital counseling. But at some point, there needs to be a transfer that happens from watching him to watching him. And how I function in trust. Oh, I'm hitting something and I know it. It's by trusting God, not with everything working out perfectly, because only God knows how things going to work out. Man, it is free to think that way. Let me just give you a hint. It's free to think that way. To say, man, Lord, I, 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 I trust you. I'm, I'm, I'm lost, folk. Let me move on. This doesn't just happen in marriage. This happens with your kids. Last Monday, we had a beautiful Memorial Day picnic, which I did not see. And the reason I did not see it and my wife didn't see it is because our daughter had a little accident at home, and she, she cut this part of her nose, uh, fell and cut this part of her nose, and so it was slit, and so we had to go to the hospital and get stitches and stuff like that. Our daughter's 18 months old. And if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about, to, to, to get your baby there and to put her on the bed and to have the doctors have to come in and they have their needles and their, their, their knives and their scissors. It's not a comfortable feeling. To see your kids suffer in any regard is not a comfortable feeling. But if I allow the thought of my kids suffering 
to paralyze me from having kids or to letting my kids leave the house. I'm all the way in some stuff this month. I miss the joy of trusting God to watch over my kids. I rob them of how God is wiring them because I don't trust God to to, to shepherd their hearts too. Now relegate God's shepherding for adults only. It's a beautiful thing when we learn that not only is God my provider, he'll give me bread, but he's my protector. He keeps me and watches over me. And I'm so glad I got a theology, y'all, that don't say you ain't going to get sick if you trust him. If you trust him, you have money in your account. If, if, you, if you're faithful in your giving, you'll never run low. I'm so glad that's not my theology. Because I live long enough to know you can pray till your eyeballs fall out. You can lay hands on the sick and pray, Lord, heal, deliver, standing. You could feel the anointing while you're doing it. Whew, I know something, church. And still, unfortunately, listen, still don't see the result you want. You can be given and you say, man, I'm struggling. I need to up my giving. You can up your generosity and still don't have what you need. That ain't good news, is it? Or is it? Unless his presence, hear me this morning. Those that know what I'm talking about, you know, and those that don't, you just don't. It's his presence that comes alongside you in the midst of the hardest day of your life. You'll find out something about God that you didn't know before. You'll find him to be a God that provides. You'll find him to be a God that protects you. You'll find him to be a God of inheritance. Last point. Last temptation, we talked about the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Now we're talking about the lust of the eyes. The enemy says, if you are the son of God, bow down and worship me. Each temptation becomes more descriptive. He moves from black and white television to, to HD. Now he takes him to this high mountain. The higher you go, the farther you can see. And shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He gives them this fantasy. You know, fantasy is, is what's not real. He shows them all these kingdoms and their glory. It was this way of saying, look, all the kingdoms are here. All their glory is here. And guess what they want? They want you, Jesus. They're ready to forsake their idols and bow down and worship you if you would just bow down and worship me. You see, the first temptation is about provision, the second one protection, but this time it's about inheritance. And what he used is fantasy. The problem with fantasy is fantasy often overpromises and then underdelivers. Fantasies aren't real now that it almost seems idiotic for me to waste a breath to say fantasies are not real but some of us if you're not careful you live in fantasy in your spare moments you are another person in another place in another career with other people that aren't your family with a bank account that don't have those same numbers at the end than yours have in a house that got 1,500 more square feet than yours does. And times three on the cars you have in your garage. If you're not careful, you'll, you'll misplace living in him for living for fantasy. What do you fantasize about? He was trying to get Christ to take the easy way out. He was trying to shorten the road to lordship from this long road to the cross to this short, this short act of just bowing down and worshiping Satan for a moment. Now you may say, Rodney, this is stupid. Why would anybody worship Satan? 
The worship, as was said in worship, is what we ascribe value to or honor to. Jesus says it this way, no man can serve two masters. Either you'll love one and hate the other or hate the other and love the one. What do you worship? Let me go back. What do you fantasize about? Tim Keller says the way that we identify our idols is where our mind goes when there's nothing else to think about. Many of our temptations try to get us to shorten the time it takes to get where we're going. And let me tell you what this sounds like. Look how you're living. You should have this by now. You should have that by now. Look at your house. You deserve more than that. Look at my singleness. You deserve more than that. What you're doing ain't going to hurt nobody. Don't nobody else see. Particularly the temptation of pornography. It's this sin that happens in quote unquote secret. It don't affect nobody. God will understand. God will forgive. You see, we do these things to rationalize our own sin. But look how Jesus responds. No compromise. No concessions. No backroom deals. He looks the devil in the face and says, be gone, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So, Rodney, how do I fight temptation in closing? Jesus won our victory perfectly. You are not perfect. Which means you are going to have to rest in God's victory over sin to walk out your victory over sin. So first thing, man, is understand, yo, you in a fight. The easiest person to beat up is a person that won't fight. The easiest person to beat up is a person that won't put their set up. You almost don't want to fight them because they won't put their hands up. You have to understand you are in a fight against temptation. Number one, I said it already, it bears saying again, remember who you are. Remember what Christ has done. Remember where your righteousness lies. Number two, look at Jesus. The Bible says he was filled with the Spirit as he was being tempted. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with himself. Holy Spirit, fill me with you and what you desire. Give me your conviction. Lead me to your truth. Bring me your comfort. Ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you. Number three, Jesus gave 40 days of devotion to God. You cannot fight him without anything in you to fight. This is why if I ask somebody, how is your CBR journal going? I can almost guarantee how their walk is going. You talk to somebody that won't pray, won't read, I'll tell you how their spiritual life is going. Got a text message. Just today, I said, how are you doing? Checking in on some folk. How you doing? Struggling. What you're struggling about? Feeling inadequate, depressed, defeated, with no motivation for life. Here's what I, what I responded, how I responded. What's the addiction? Where has sin robbed you of your joy? Where has the sin paralyzed you, afraid to pray, to worship, to 
get before him? What lies have the enemy supplanted in your mind to make you think, God don't want you no more? You too far out. You can't get back now. You messed up too. Look at you. He threw. It's a, you just stop, just stop coming to church all together. Just stop. You faking it, you hypocrite. You stop. Just stop faking it all together. He has you in the corner and unloading on you, and you're having trouble getting out because the blows keep coming. But there's a bell. Rodney, what's the bell this morning? It's to sit down in the corner and get instructions from the Father. And what is he speaking to you? I'm not done. I'll be with you when you go back out because you got to go back out. But I want you to remember my instructions to you, son. Remember, this is what makes Jesus' handling of temptation so potent. His responses are straight out the text. You got to have word in you so when you need to use it, the word can come out of you, but it can't come out what you won't put in. Takes devotion. For some of y'all, you should call off work tomorrow. Some of you all, you should go home and lock yourself in the room and lay on your face before God. For some of you, a fast is needed. It's a time of consecration. We look at how Jesus overcomes temptation, but look what James tells us, and I'm closing. James chapter 4, verse 6 through 8 says this, but he gives more grace. Oh, I love it. He gives more grace. Who does he give grace to? The humble. See, if you're so such and much and you're so religious and you got it all together and you have the perfect devotion time and you have the perfect uh, gospel fluence and you have the perfect this and the perfect that and you can look down your spiritual nose on other people, then you don't get grace. The text says he opposes the proud. He's disarmed the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble. So watch verse 7 now, James 4, verse 7. Three things we do to... To, to fight temptation. Number one, we submit ourselves to God. Resist the devil, number two, and he will flee. Number three, hear it, listen to it again. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Submit yourself to God. Rodney, how do I submit myself to God? You come under him. What does it mean to come under him? I come under his word. There it is again, devotion. I come under him and, and I take my cares, my concerns, my anxiety, my depression, my loneliness, my, my, my trouble, what they said and what they did in my past and my history. And I cast my cares on him for he cares for me. So I'm going to go to him and I'm going to get off this phone. I'm going to go to him in prayer. And I'm going to trust that he does more in me praying to a God that I can't hear talking back to me than can happen when I'm just running my mouth on the phone. Submit to God. I submit to God in obedience of what he's already told me to do. So if I'm in a situation and I know what the will of God is because it's written in his word, then I stop doing what I want to do and I start doing what he's calling me to do all by the power of his spirit. For some of us, you need to pluck your eye out. Not literally. Metaphorically. There's stuff that's around you that need to go. If every time you watch that show, it leads you to promiscuity, stop watching that show. But ain't nothing wrong. We ain't talking about wrong. Help, Lord. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. That means, bruh, you better fight. 
you got to resist. I got to, uh, no, mm, no, not, uh, not today. No, mm, got to go the other way. Got to pause, pray. I got to pause. What did he write? What did he say about this? I got to resist his attacks on my mind. He's dropping atomic bombs about other people on your mind. And you done made up whole characters of people that don't exist. It's just what you think they think in your mind. But the Bible says, regard no man after the flesh. The Bible talks about us forgiving. The Bible talks about how we love our enemies. When I start putting the word on it, it changes my perspective. But I first got to resist. And the Bible says, as I submit myself to God and I resist the devil, he goes away for a season. But you'll feel that that temptation lift. You'll feel that temptation, that temptation go away. If you submit and you resist, he'll flee. He'll be back. Maybe another hour. Maybe tomorrow he'll be back. But it'll lift. And what do you do when it lifts? You praise God. Oh, I won that round. The judges just said, I won that round. God, look how strong you are. I didn't, look, look, look how you brought me out. Look how you delivered me out of that. God, you're good. God, you're amazing. You're awesome. You're wonderful. We get to praise as he flees because it's a picture that at the end of time, He'll be banished. There'll be no more. Amen? Amen. I've enjoyed this series coming. See, the last thing I'll say concerning this, and I'm done. And I know I was long-winded today. Sometimes I got to teach. I know I was long-winded. But I said Mark Driscoll, when he, when, when he used to preach, he used to preach for hours straight every Sunday. So you should be glad. Number two. Anyway, when we talk about come and see when you do that and people see you do that, everybody else is having inappropriate relationships at work, but they look at you and you won't even entertain it. What is that? What is, what is that about her? When everybody else fudge their time cards and say they work longer than they did, but then they come to you and you losing money being faithful. You become light. And light draws. One of the things I was praying this morning for my preaching time, I said, Lord, make me a flame so people will see you and run to you. Some of you, everyone's standing, I'm done. Everyone's standing, I'm done. Some of you are dog tired. You ain't tired. You ain't tired. You dog tired of this. Some of you are hearing this preaching and you're, 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 you're almost stiff-arming my words because you're saying, I don't even want to go down this road to try this again. Some of you have been in the corner of this fight for so long. When the bell ring, you come out and go stand in the corner to be plummeted again. Oh, but this morning... Hear the words of our Savior saying, all who are weary, all who are tired, come. Come see, I will give you rest. I'm still in control. I am still sovereign. Yes, I've let you hungered in the wilderness, but I did it to show you what was in your heart. Come to the one that changes hearts. You don't have to stay where you are. You are, you are no longer, hear me this morning, you are no longer a slave to sin. Whatever that sin is, he's come this morning to bring about his liberty, his freedom. He's come to declare the year of Jubilee that you are no longer enslaved. You are free in who the Son has set free.
is free indeed. So, Father, I just come against fear right now. There's a fear and anxiety that's fighting against your spirit and your move. Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would banish fear from this place. Lord, I pray for a spirit of humility that comes to you broken and needy and desperate again and again and again to receive the strength they need to submit and to fight or resist and to watch the devil run in terror. If that's you, uh, we're not going to call the prayer team to come this morning. If that's you, just make your way to the front. I'm going to pray over you quickly, and we're going to take our communion. As a younger preacher, I used to judge my sermon on who came for prayer. But I know better now. I know better now. Father, I pray again, would you just banish fear over that heart now, over that heart right now, a spirit of pride and preserving self-image. I just pray, God, would you, would you break that now in the name of Jesus? Lord, your people desire to be free. Your people desire to learn how to fight, and they're going to have to fight, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A few more moments. If that's you, come. A few more moments. Don't wait. Don't battle. Don't second guess. Just put one leg out and start walking. Just start stepping your way here. Just move and walk. God bless you. Rodney, why do you call us to come? It's an act of obedience. For those that have come, I want you to look at me for a moment. Look at me for a moment. You won't deal with this your whole life. God's going to grant you victory. Did you hear me? God's going to grant you Victory. God's going to grant you victory. Lift your hands if you've come. Close your eyes. Lift your hands. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for those that have come. Lord, I pray right now that you know what that temptation is. You know what that struggle is. You know how they have rationalized it. You know how they may have tried to call right, wrong, and wrong, right. But, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray first that you will remind them of who they are. They're king's kids. They are king's kids. They belong to you. You've paid for them with your own blood. You've granted them positional righteousness. Oh, now, Lord, would you work about your sanctification in their hearts? I pray that whatever means they must take, to be conformed to your image, Lord, I pray, God, would you do that for your glory. Whatever they must sacrifice, whatever they must give up, Lord, show them what it is. Oh, God, thank you. Oh, Lord, thank you. Lord, and don't you let that hinder their call. Their call to be sought in light. Their call to be influencers wherever you've placed them, however you've placed them. Lord, grant them victory and freedom so they can be who you called them to be. Thank you, God, that greater is he that's on the inside of us than he that's in the world. Lord, I just pray right now that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would give them wisdom and understanding. I pray for accountability of friends and, and loved ones and brothers and sisters in Christ that would hold them accountable to what 
whatever it is. I pray for their other relationships, their work relationships, their family relationships. God, bring about what you want to do in their lives. So, Lord, we thank you and we trust you for that. Thank you for the people that they'll lead to Christ. Thank you for their spiritual inheritance. In Jesus' name we pray. You may be seated. God bless you. God bless you. Give them a hand, would you? Amen.